Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Friends, I invite you to turn with me, please, in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40. And we'll find our way to Isaiah chapter 40 in just a few moments. But before we do, I've got to tell you about something that happened years ago at Walt Disney World. You know, before we lived here, we lived in Orlando, and we lived in Orlando at the time when the children were the perfect age to go to Disney. So we went to Disney as often as we could. We would find ways to sneak in through friends who worked there. We every excuse we could, we loved almost everything about Disney. We loved the music playing overhead. We loved the the snacks. We loved the rides. We loved the characters, almost everything. There was one thing we didn't love. In fact, not loving it is putting it mildly. The long lines. We would wait and age in those long lines for the rides at Disney. And in the middle of the summer, it was the worst because Orlando heat can be oppressive heat. Sometimes these lines you can be in for an hour and a half, two hours, depending on the ride and how new it was, and no shade to be found. And, and the problem was little boys and little girls would come dressed ready to feel the magic. And they would come, little boys, dressed in... Pirates of the Caribbean outfits from head to foot, wigs, hats, everything. Little girls with princess dresses and layers and layers of lycra matted to them through sweat. Hairspray oversprayed now falling in the heat. And they were miserable. You could see it on their faces. We would stand in line forever and ever. And and sometimes parents would attempt to assuage the pain and suffering with a Mickey Mouse ice cream, but all it would do was melt all down their arms as they cried and turned beet red, and it was awful. In fact, some days it wasn't magic we felt. It, it resembled more of Dante's seventh circle of hell, if we're just being honest. <laughs> One day... We're in line, and I don't remember even what the line was for. Something popular, maybe it was my favorite ride, Soren, which is nice and kind of easy, you know. But we were in line forever and ever. We were in line for like seven years. We were in line. But about two spots up from us was another family, and they had been waiting even a little longer than we had been waiting, and, and they were they were done. We were almost near the entrance to where you get on the ride, but... The kids were fighting with each other. The, the parents were fighting with the kids. The parents were fighting with each other. They had sweat and, and melted ice cream everywhere, and they were whining and complaining. It was awful, and I was just counting my blessings in that moment. And the father, 
I could tell, had had all that he could take. One of the kids said one last thing, and he said, that's it, that's it. And he grabs them by the hand, we're out of here. And after an hour and a half of waiting in line, they did the unthinkable. They went home. And I think about that moment, not sure where they went. Did they go to the bathroom? Did they go to get a snack? Did they get in the car? Did they, did they move away? And I don't know what happened to, to them. But I do know this. I think about that when I think about the reality. How tragic it is to be waiting for something for so long and to quit near the end. How tragic is it to wait for something for so long and quit at the end? Some of us here this day may need that gentle reminder in love, don't stop waiting. Because I know someone has gathered here and you've been waiting for something far more important than an amusement park ride. You've been waiting for a long time for an answer. A long time for something to stop. A long time for something to start. Some of you are waiting for a diagnosis, a treatment plan, a cure. Some of you are waiting for a better break, for clouds to part, for a fracture in a relationship to be healed. And I'm here to tell you, don't stop waiting. Because for just a couple of moments this morning, if you'll lend me your ears, I want to talk about why the wait is worth it. Why the wait is worth it. But in order to talk about why the wait is worth it, in order for us to feel the strength of that promise, we've got to talk about a couple other things. For those of you who take notes, I want you to pay attention. We're talking about three things today. We first have to talk about existential exhaustion, the art of rope making, and mounting up with wings like eagles. Existential exhaustion, the art of rope making, and mounting up with wings like eagles. First, existential exhaustion. Now, existential is just a, a fun, fancy word. I, I love it. You know, you know what it means. It's very simple. Some are confused by its meaning. It's a simple meaning. Existential simply means this. It means that's the word we use to describe our pursuit of finding meaning in our existence. Is there any meaning or purpose to my existence at all? Well, that's an existential question. In fact, if you take the word existential at the very heart of the word, the root of the word itself is exist. Existential exhaustion is the kind of weariness that comes in our pursuit to find any meaning in the waiting. The longer we wait for something, the more weary we become. And the more we begin to wonder, is there any purpose to this thing? Because most of us are willing to wait a little while or even a long while if we believe the wait is worth it. If we believe there's purpose in the wait, there's meaning 
in my existence during this waiting. The trouble is most of the time we, we don't discover the purpose behind it or the meaning behind the long wait until the long wait is over. Until we get to the other side of it and we look in the rearview mirror and can interpret with the help of the Spirit all of the reasons things have happened as they have happened. So the existential questions we ask are the questions that the ancient Hebrews asked. Our ancient forebearers in the faith, our Hebrew sisters and brothers who charted this course of faith first during seasons of long, weary waiting would ask two questions. Why? And how long, O oh Lord? Why? And how long, O oh Lord? Now, you and I have come, most of us in this room, I don't want to make assumptions, but most of us have come up through a Protestant line in the family tree, a branch in the family tree, and we come from a heritage of not asking why. We have been sold the illusion. We have believed the lie that asking why is some kind of a lack of faith. I'm here to tell you, and I'll say it again and again until you believe me, that asking why to God is not a lack of faith. Asking why is an act of faith. Because if I ask why to God, it assumes that I have a relationship with God where I am able to ask why. It assumes that I believe that God has some answer as to why. It assumes some things about an intimate relationship that I have where I'm given permission to ask why and how long. If we pay close attention to the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament, weaved all throughout the Hebrew Bible are those two questions again and again and again. Did you know that in the, in the book of Psalms, out of the 150 psalms that we have, more than half of them are psalms of lamentation. Psalms of lamenting, of anguishing in seasons in which there is suffering and waiting. And the questions are asked, why and how long, O Lord? We even have a book in our Old Testament named Lamentations. Where the heart and the soul of the book is to ask why and how long will we endure in our current suffering. You don't need my permission to ask why of God or how long will this last. You've been given permission from the word of God and the ancients who have come before us. Now, when we ask why and how long, O oh Lord, we're joining with a community of faith throughout the ages. Can I give you the best example? The exiles of the Old Testament. If you want a history of the Old Testament in two minutes, here it goes. God sees a people enslaved in suffering and liberates them from suffering and says, I will make of you a new people. And I will make of you a people after my own name and after my own character. I will give you a land and give you a space. And I will give you a way to order your life in such a way that everyone around you sees you and thinks of me. You will order your life in such a way that you live out the very character of me in what you choose. So he did. He gives them a land. He gives them a way of life. And in time, they did what we all do. They forgot who they were. 
And they began to take on the behaviors and practices and customs of the neighbors around them. And taking on the ethics of their neighbors around them, they began to worship other gods and set other priorities in their lives besides Yahweh. And they began to do things that were in contrast to the very character of Yahweh. They neglected the poor, the outcast, the widow, the resident alien. They neglected the stranger. They amassed wealth for themselves and forgot those who had nothing. And God was over it. And allowed conquering armies to invade first the Assyrians in the north and then finally the Babylonians in the south and sent the people into exile. Now living in exile away from everything familiar They enter a season of waiting. We call it exile. And for 70 years, they ask the question, why? And over 70 years, with the help of the prophets, they begin to figure out, well, because there were some things we did. And there were some things we didn't do. And how long, O Lord? And if you want to get a glimpse of the best example of existential suffering in the Bible, it's in Psalm 137 where we hear these words by the rivers of babylon there we sat down a posture of resignation and there we wept when we remembered zion on the willows there we hung up our harps harps that were instruments of worship meant to be strummed in celebration of the lord hung on the willow not just the willow but the the weeping willow for there our captors asked us for songs and our tormentors asked us for mirth saying sing us one of the songs of zion how can we sing the lord's song in a foreign land if i forget you O jerusalem let my right hand wither let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if i do not remember you if i do not set jerusalem above my highest joy do you catch the images here in utter resignation, been waiting too long, been weary in our waiting. May my hand wither, the hand that is meant to strum the harp in worship. May my tongue cling to my mouth because my tongue was meant to sing worship before the Lord our God. May I never sing it again. It is a dangerous place to be when you lose your song. Have you ever been waiting for something so long and with such passion for it and it never comes, never comes, never comes? Have you ever been waiting long enough to where you you begin to lose the very joy that gave life life? That is existential exhaustion. And that's why the passage that I want us to study here for just a moment in, in, in Isaiah 40 speaks directly to the experience of i've been waiting too long i keep asking why i keep asking how long and nobody's answering me god has forgotten me isaiah 40 beginning in verse 27 why do you say O jacob and speak O israel that my way is hidden from the lord and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. 
He does not faint and grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and grow weary. And the young will fall exhausted, but those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The good news to the existentially exhausted is just this. You never have been, you are not, and you never will be alone. The God who neither sleeps nor slumbers has always been with you and is currently with you at present in the midst of your exhaustion. And the character of this God is the kind of character that brings power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. But if you are to know something about experiencing the strength in your seasons of fainting, if you're to know anything about experiencing the kind of strength that comes when you are powerless, You've got to know something about the art of rope making. The art of rope making. Now listen, this passage that I read, especially the last two verses, may be some of the most familiar verses in all of Scripture. I mean, we, we memorize it at times as children. We, we put it on coffee mugs and t-shirts, right? It's Isaiah. We'll read the last verse again. Even youths will faint. And be weary, even the young will fall exhausted, but those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not faint. They shall walk and not be weary. We've memorized it so much that we've kind of become anesthetized to the power of that verse for those who are weary in the wait. Because you can't really appreciate the power and the promise of that verse until you recognize the meaning of the word wait. Because sometimes when we are waiting, we assume that waiting means standing around and doing nothing, standing idly by, well, I'm in a season here. I'm between the already and the not yet. I can't do anything about it, so I might as well just sit in my exhaustion and hang up my harp on the willow. And the waiting in this verse, is not that kind of waiting. The word in Hebrew is kavah. The Hebrew word kavah means to wait, literally means to wait. But when it's used in other places throughout the Hebrew Bible, the very core of that word, wait, literally means this, to bind, wind, or braid together like a rope. To bind, wind and braid together like a rope. See, the process of rope making, the art of rope making is an intricate 
process that takes place by design. It's not accidental. You take dozens or even hundreds of strands of individual pieces of thread and you weave them, you bind them and wind them and braid them together in a process that creates something more than simply the individual parts. I grabbed a piece of rope this morning out of my garage to bring to you and talk about it. This is no special rope. It's just an ordinary strip of rope that I had left over from a project I had finished. At the end of the rope, though, you, you, you see that there is kind of a, a fraying. You thought this would be a short sermon, but I'm afraid not. <laughs> if I were to take one strand of this rope. I bet you can barely see it from where you are. I bet the camera can hardly pick that up, but it's, it's there. Sometimes that's me. That's you. You're made with limitations. You're made fearfully and wonderfully by God in God's own image, but you were made with limitations. Made to endure all kinds of hardships. It's amazing what human beings can endure. But even, even this tiny thread, if I put just enough pressure on it, just like us, it'll snap with enough weight. Everybody has a snapping point. Everybody has a particular weight that is beyond them to bear on their own. But the beauty of the art of rope making is that a rope is weaved together, braided together, wound together, bound together by dozens and even hundreds of pieces that make something strong out of it. That's why the writer of Ecclesiastes, Kohelet, in the chapter the fourth chapter says it this way. He says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, but a cord, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. See, this rope, it doesn't look like much, but I used this rope after I finished a project. I built this, um, this bed swing. It's heavy. It's more than 200 pounds but I hung it with this. This is just left over from that project. It's, it doesn't look like much, but I can get three or four grown men, depending on who the men are, <laughs> on that, that swing. And it'll hold because when you're braided together and bound together and, and wound together, there is a strength that is more than the individual strand. And when Isaiah says, they who wait upon the Lord, they who kavah upon the Lord, he is literally saying, those of you in the midst of your existential exhaustion, in the midst of the weariness of your weight, those of you who kavah, those of you who bind, wind, and braid yourself together with God, you will renew your strength. You will run and not be weary. You will walk and not faint. The promise is that in your weakness, if you deliberately wait, braid your life together with the life of God, there is a strength in you that you cannot manufacture on your own. This is why 
Paul. When, when Paul speaks about this weakness that he has, I've got this thorn in my flesh, this thing I can't overcome. I wish it would go away. I wish this waiting period of this thorn that won't seem to go away would go away, and it won't. So I asked the Lord three times in a row, do something about this, remove this. And Paul said, this is what Jesus said to me. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul then says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest in me. Do you know that when Paul quotes Jesus, when Jesus says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, the the word that's at the heart of that phrase, made perfect in weakness, is this Greek word, teleo. Do you know that teleo literally means to complete, to fulfill, or to finish? It's the same word, by the way, that's at the core of the word tetelestai, when Christ upon the cross said, it is finished, it is complete, it has been fulfilled. Well, when Jesus says to Paul, and to you, and to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my Strength is made complete, fulfilled, finished in your weakness. It's as if he is saying, my strength is not quite complete or fulfilled or finished until it is braided together, weaved together with your weakness so that all the world may see that your strength does not come from you. It comes from me good news, beloved, is if if we learn something about the art of rope making, if we listen to the call of Isaiah and to Paul, those who are existentially exhausted and weary in the weight, if we learn how to braid our lives with the strength of God, then we'll mount up with wings of eagles. The The trouble is that's an everyday decision. You want something to do in the weight? Do this. Wake up in the morning. And begin your day with a confession, I've got nothing in me that will satisfy the challenge of what's ahead today. If left up to my own devices, God, I will falter, I will grow weary, I will faint because I'm tired. So I braid my life with you. If you do that, then whatever single strand is your life, then you're able to say to yourself, wherever I go, wherever I'm walking, I will walk without fainting because I will walk into the challenging conversation I have to have this week. I can walk into the new thing, the change that I didn't ask for, I didn't see it coming, but here it is, and I feel under-equipped for it, but I can walk in because it's not just me. I am braided together this day with the power of the risen Christ. If we can learn daily to humble ourselves and yield ourselves to the power of Christ in us, then do you know what we learn? We learn how to mount up with wings like eagles. Now, there is no creature in the animal kingdom, I believe, quite as magnificent and majestic and as regal as the eagle. In fact, Eagles have all kinds of strengths. That's why they are repeated in the Bible again and again and again. The most fascinating is their eyesight to me. They see far greater than any of us could ever see. Did you know that an eagle can see a rabbit two miles away? 
If the eagle is hunting and he's, or she's over the water, the eagle can see beneath the water from a mile above the surface a fish and track it and with laser-like precision hunt for its lunch. Did you know that the eagle, when it soars, can soar some of the species of eagles as high as 15,000 feet above the earth? And when they fly, a golden eagle has been clocked at a nosedive exceeding 200 miles an hour. And the talon strength of an eagle, especially the bald eagle, has been measured at more than 1,000 pounds per square inch. This is a magnificent animal. No wonder the writers of Scripture continue to reach for ways to describe the, the mysteries of God and they keep returning to the eagle again and again. The only trouble is sometimes trouble will come to an eagle just like it comes to you. Sometimes an eagle will be injured and the wounding of that eagle, whether it's a wing or a leg or a talon, something that could be injured by another predator, they may have had a fall or whatever the problem is, it will land the eagle in a season in which they are no longer soaring above the earth, no longer hunting for their prey. They will walk on the earth. And walking on the earth, their muscles begin to atrophy and they can no longer fly. And walking upon the earth, they still are hungry, but they cannot hunt. They're not fast enough to run that way. And so they begin to take on the behaviors of other animals like scavengers and they along with buzzards will eat from the dead from carcasses that have been killed by some other predator and in so doing their talons which were so strong at the prime of their lives will will begin to grow over and will will become dull as will their beaks and some will run with turkeys and some will will peck at the ground for nourishment like, like chickens. You know what's interesting? If we wait long enough, if we're not careful, we can grow so weary in our wait that we forget who we were made to be. We were made to soar like the eagles, but sometimes an injury will come and it's so significant that we forget and we don't, we're not told, we're not shown, shown or taught that we are to braid our lives with the braid of God's love. And somewhere along the way, we forget that we were made for more. Beloved, it's easy to forget you were made to soar with the eagles, but you can't run with turkeys and soar with eagles. You can't scavenge with buzzards and soar with eagles. You can't cluck with chickens and soar with the eagles. Have you come near the tragic place of forgetting who you are? The creator of the world thought you were a good idea. And in the midst of your weight, there's something happening in you that is perfecting you, to let go, completing something in you. The most fascinating thing that I've learned about eagles is this. When one eagle is injured, do you know that the other eagles pay attention to the injured eagle? 
And if they know that an eagle has been down there for days, not able to hunt, not able to fly, do you know what the other eagles will do? They will hunt and drop food to the eagle until they begin to eat it and begin to remember the chewing motion and the taste. And then then they will drop half-dead prey so that they can finish the job and remember what it feels like to eat. Is Is it possible this is why our Lord said, I need you to have a holy meal every once in a while to remember me. Sometimes we have to taste our way back to our truest identity. And they will eat that meat dropped from the eagles above. And in time, their their muscles will begin to strengthen. They'll begin to to sharpen their talons on on the rocks and on the bark of trees. And their beaks will become strong again. In time, they regain their strength. And do you know what's happening the whole time? As they are mending, as they are becoming whole in the midst of their waiting, all the other eagles above will sing to them. They will cry out in screeches of encouragement. The eagles below will hear their siblings in their species saying to them, Get up. You're not meant to live down there. You belong up here with us. You are meant to soar, not to run with turkeys or cluck with chickens. And this, beloved, is why the church exists. You and I are meant to be mindful of one another when we fall, when we are injured, when any one of us begins to behave in such a way that does not reflect our truest identity as the risen, living body of Christ. So we gather with one another and we feed one another and we pay attention to one another and we remind one another, you were meant to soar. You were not meant to walk around with the turkeys, that there is something greater in you than that which is in the world. And I wonder today if you've come to this place this morning Not by accident, but by design. I wonder if you have come to a place in your own existential exhaustion where you need to hear the same reminder. Let me screech over you a word of reminder of who you are and who you are meant to be. And that it is possible for you in the midst of your abject weakness and weariness to still be weaved together with the one who neither sleeps nor slumbers. One who is capable of restoring your strength until you mount up with wings like eagles. If you're here today and I have described anything that resembles even remotely where you're walking these days, maybe it's time for you to yield yourself in a moment of prayer before God. Maybe even right now, even right this minute, you come to a place where you get honest with God and no longer attempt to project into a world around you and somehow project to God that you are okay when you're not. You know, it's been said that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and lifts up those who are crushed in spirit. You don't have to pretend anymore. Maybe today you need to borrow the words that I give here and just right where you are in your own heart, offer this prayer. Lord, I am tired. My life resembles 
what the pastor has been describing today. I have run and run and run. Now I've slowed down to a walk and I'm barely limping because I can, I can no longer keep up. And I'm tired. But if it's true that I can braid my life to your life, if I can be woven with your strength, then here I am. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. Purge me in mind and heart and soul of all of the ways I attempt to be my own Savior. Forgive me and take my life. Make something new of it so that I might live in this world in a way that you imagined when you thought me into being. I belong to you you to me. I am yours. Amen.